You're listening to Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Join the conversation on our Facebook page or on Twitter. And be sure to like and follow us for more great Catholic content. Now, back to the show. We are back on Real Presence Live. Thanks for staying with us. I did, in my ignorance, uh, get handed a, a quick update about the banquets. Joe Heschmeyer is going to be speaking in Aberdeen on February 20th. So we also have our Aberdeen banquet. I'm, I'm sorry to our Aberdeen listeners. Um, but, uh, but yes, February 20th, Aberdeen, South Dakota. We've got Fargo, February 26th. And then we have Duluth, March 5th. And you can learn more and sign up at realpresenceradio.com slash banquets. That's a great opportunity. I guess you mentioned before, Brandon, of coming together and really supporting this work, but also being supported uh, by each other in our growth uh, and our encounter with the Lord. And so, and speaking about encounters with the Lord, we're going to talk with Father Riley Durkin here in our next segment. Good morning, Father. How are you doing today? Good morning. How are you guys? Excellent. Uh, so you are the pastor of St. Aloysius in Lisbon and St. Vincent's yeah. in Gwinter, North Dakota. How's that going? It's going really well. It's a great community. I'm excited to be here. And you've been, you've been there for, what, just over half a year, six months or so? Or? I've been there six months. I got here at the end of June, beginning of July. Uh, and it's, it's been a learning curve, right? First time pastor. But I've really been enjoying it, and it's, it's, been, it's been exciting. Yeah, so at the diocese, you're, you get you get the title of baby ba- baby pastor, right? There being <laughs> the first pastor. one. Yeah. yeah. So what's it what's it like as your first uh, first being time being a pastor? What are some of the things that you re- you've really enjoyed? Oh, things I've really enjoyed. I mean, well, I always think of it. You know, priests are called father, right? So there's, there's a there's a there's a certain amount of spiritual fatherhood that comes uh, that comes with it being being a priest, but it comes up in a special way. Of being a pastor, and especially small towns, everybody knows local pastors, um, and that's that's not something you often that's not something you often get in the, the cities like Fargo or Grand Forks. Um, but you're a real part of the community when you're in a when you're in a small town. Right. There's a lot of familiarity. It's smaller, and so you get together and you have that opportunity, as Tom Price was saying before, to get to know each other's names, birthdays, anniversaries. Um, even get invited yeah. probably to birthday parties, uh, games at the at the school, that kind of thing. Uh, a great opportunity. And I've been trying to get to know the other pastors here in town as well, the other non-Catholic pastors, which has been which I've really enjoyed. Hmm. And so, of course, as a pastor, uh, you do a lot of baptisms, probably uh, uh, probably even more funerals. Um, and and so we're going to talk this hour a little bit about the how baptisms and funerals are similar. And I know you had an article in the New Earth a few months back about this. Uh, so just give us a little bit, just a little teaser. How, how did you decide to write this article about what baptisms and funerals have in common? Well, it's, it's something that's, that struck me. You, know, you do enough baptisms and funerals, you see uh, similarities between the two. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of Catholics talk about, um, you know, baptism being a new birth. That's, that's what it says in the Gospels. Uh, but... Death is also a birth into eternal life as well, and the the liturgies of baptisms and and funerals uh, reflect that. If, if you're paying attention, you know, it, it's some things where if you don't go to a lot of baptisms and funerals, you may not notice. Um, but the but the church is keeping this in mind, keeping that in mind. Right. So so in your article, you talk about these two certainties: birth and death. 
you left out taxes, but we won't go there. Uh, so what, what should we know when it comes to baptisms and funerals in terms of how they relate to birth and death? Well, so you look at, you look at the Gospels. We'll start with baptism. The story of, of Nicodemus, where Jesus tells him that, if you, uh, that, you, that you must be born again. Right? Nicodemus is confused by this, but, but Jesus is uh, speaking about, about baptism. If you look at the, the, the results of the sacrament, the effects of the sacrament of baptism, one of them is adoptive sonship into the family of God. So you're born into, this, into the family of, uh, of Christianity, into, into God's, the new Israel, God's chosen, new chosen people through baptism, and it's really the most important day of our Christian life. And for listeners, if you don't know your baptism day, find out. Celebrate it with families. Yeah, it's a great tradition. I know uh, even when I entered into the diaconate, that was like the first homework to do, and I went back to my mom and said, oh my gosh, when, you know, when was my baptism? So she sent that over. She also sent pictures of my baptism and my baptism certificate and my candle. Yeah. So I get all those things, and so now as a family, actually as an extended family, we've put the uh, baptismal dates on the calendar. Uh, it's kind of even more important than that, that birthday. That was a great moment. I remember when, when your sister, Steve, uh, she puts together the calendar every year, and she asked for the baptismal dates, and I'm like, I don't even know. But then I found out that a niece of my, ours, she has the same baptismal day. So now we make it a point every year to get together and have a meal together and celebrate it. It's, it's a great opportunity for evangelization. Yeah, and it is, it is a type of birthday, a birth into a Christian life, Christian family. So your first homework um, of today, folks, is to find out when your baptism was and to put it on your calendar, on your Google calendar or whatever you use as a recurring date, um, and, and maybe do that. You know, do it with your children, with your wife, um, to celebrate that birthday because that is that entrance into, in a certain sense, it's the first step into eternal life. And I think that's what I love about the connection between baptism and the funeral. And if you've been to a funeral recently, you realize that it's, an, it's a continuation of that journey, Then this language is used, a continuation of that journey that was begun at baptism. Right, Father? Yeah, well, it's a call, it's a call back to, to baptism in a lot of ways. And I think we still... See- you're still part of the Christian, you're still part of the Christian family. And I think we see this certainly when we look at the liturgical calendar and we have saints feast days. Can you talk a little about that, Father? Yeah, so saints feast days not all the time, but very often uh, a saints feast day is the day that they died. So being born into eternal life. Another another type of birthday. Uh, Peter and Paul are good examples of this uh, because they're they're seen as uh, so you celebrate their feast together, June 29th, um, the Feast of Peter and Paul. And for that, probably about 1,500 years, uh, the Church has referred to them as twins, the twins, twin founders of Rome, Christian Rome, uh, because they traditionally died on the same day. So they have the same birthday in heaven, same birthday into eternal life. That's a great gift, and I think, uh, uh, folks, as you remember back, recalling back your baptism, and of course, uh, those sacraments of initiation going together where you've got baptism, Eucharist, and confirmation, or all that initiation, right, entering into um, <laughs> this, this family of God um, that we, we enter into, and then receive the, we are able to receive the sacraments, and then that final sacrament, 
or that, that final gift of, of, of uh, the funeral where we receive the graces. Um, and of course, we can receive anointing of the sick, extreme unction, um, around that, uh, that's that uh, time too. So there is a sacrament available to us for that journey. Viaticum, if you receive the Eucharist, it's the, the Eucharist for the journey, Viaticum going with. And so uh, just but a the, great gift. It is. And, but the symbols in, in the funeral liturgy call back mostly to baptism. Right, so we're not using oil. There's not a, uh, as a profound of a callback to a confirmation or even aside from a, from a petition, uh, a callback to the person's first communion in a funeral. So, but, but it's littered with a callback to baptism, reminders. Hmm. So uh, here's the next bit of homework for our listeners is to pay attention to what we're going to talk about next in the, the similarities and the commonalities between baptisms and funerals. The next time you're at a baptism or funeral, uh, notice these things. So, Father, one of the things that you talked about as a similarity would be the Easter candle. Can you dive into that? Yeah, something I, something I tell my couples for baptism prep classes is, so you think about the Easter candle, the big candle in every church. Um, we it's lit all through the Easter season, but it's only lit for an individual person twice in their life, right? on their baptism and on their funeral. Uh, so when you during a person's baptism, what the priest will do is he'll light the the baptismal candle. So the candle he's going to give the family, he'll light it off the Easter candle, and he'll say, "Receive the light of Christ." This light is entrusted to you, the parents, to be kept burning brightly, so that your child, enlightened by Christ may walk always as a child of the light. That's what the, that's what the priest says. And then we mention that again in the petitions at a funeral. In baptism, so-and-so received the light of Christ. Uh, and it's also lit, the, the Easter candle is again lit uh, in front of the casket as that callback. And of course at the baptism, that candle is then handed uh, to the godparents who hold it, who are entrusted mm-hmm. with helping keep that light of Christ uh, lit, which are the words said to them, that you are entrusted with this task of, of helping keep this light alive. And so you have that, that Easter candle. Now the next piece we have, of course, you've got the white, uh, the, the white garment that is put on the child. And then if you'll note, folks, that uh, there is a white pall that is spread over the top of a casket with a crucifix usually put on top of that. So there's a talk about that similarity too, Father. Yeah, so um, the white the white garments that that you give to the baby. Oftentimes, parents will dress their babies in white, and I encourage them to do so. Uh, but there's also a a garment that the priest gives, and he says, "So and so has become a new creation, and have clothed yourself in Christ. Uh, may this white garment be a sign of your Christian dignity." And that dignity doesn't go away throughout the person's life. I mean, there's still uh, there's still a adopted son or daughter of God, and that's reflected in, the, in a funeral when you put the pall over the casket, you know, the big white cloth that the family or funeral directors will put on the put on the casket before in the back of the church before it's before the person is brought forward, showing they still have that dignity. And I've often seen in a funeral where you know if, if there's a veteran, you know there'll be a flag put over the top of the casket. But that's, it's different where you'll have the pall um, over, the, over the casket, and then that is folded up, and then the, then the flag is put over. And there's, of course, we're citizens, of course, of this world, but we're first citizens of that heavenly kingdom. 
Uh, and right. so th- and that's and important. As far as I can tell, the flag over a veteran's casket is, um, is it's very American. I don't know if other countries do the same. Okay. Very Interesting. Good. Well, we do have a a few other similarities to talk about, but we want to head to a break quick. And when we return, we'll finish up talking about baptisms and funerals and what they have in common. Stay with us on Real Presence Live as we continue with Father Durkin right after this. Stay with us. There's more Real Presence Live to come on the Real Presence Radio Network. As the new year begins, now is the time to add some predictability to your life by establishing your will and estate plan. More than two-thirds of all adults have no plan. Hello, this is Mike Kidrowski, Director of Advancement for Real Presence Radio. We have some practical tools to help you in preparing your plan. Please visit our plan-giving website at rprlegacy.org or call me at 701-290-4503. It's a matter of just getting started. This is Father Bo Braun from the Diocese of Duluth. It's my second year anniversary as a priest today, so I figured it's a good time to talk a little bit about priesthood and my favorite part about being a priest. You know, it's intense because you just think about where the priest stands. The priest stands, he stands in the place of Jesus Christ. He stands in between the people and God. And uh, that place is a, there's an intensity of life and there's an intensity of love there. And, uh, you know, I was thinking about the, I think the best times as a priest are those moments where God lets you feel that intensity. You know, so the Mass, I would say, is the, is the highest point, obviously, because in the Mass, it's the, it's the most intense prayer from the Son to the Father, and I'm caught up in, caught up in the middle of that. But yet, I, I give all of that love then to the people, and uh, all through my, my ordinary and, and very little heart. Let us run to Mary and as her little children cast ourselves into our arms with a perfect confidence. St. Francis de Sales. Join together with families across the local area for the Rosary, nightly here on Real Presence Radio. On Wednesday through Monday nights, tune in at 8 p.m. Central and on Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. Central. Gather the whole family together and pray this powerful prayer with us. Join us for the Rosary Wednesday through Monday at 8 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Central here on the RPR Network. You're listening to Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Join the conversation on our Facebook page or on Twitter. And be sure to like and follow us for more great Catholic content. Now, back to the show. This is Real Presence Live. Steve Sponskowski along with... Brandon Clark. And we are visiting this hour with Father Riley Dirk, and he had an article, What Do Baptisms and Funerals Have in Common?, it was in the December New Earth, and so we're conversing with him a little bit about that. If you want to go back and check that out on the diocesan website, you can read it again. But we're, going to, we're digging into that a little more. Father Riley Durkin, of course, is the pastor of St. Aloysius Parish in Lisbon and St. Vincent's in Gwinner, North Dakota. And we're continuing this conversation about this uh, baptism and funerals, what they have in common. And Father, uh, before the break, we talked about the, you know, the candle, the Easter candle, um, and the white garment, and now let's talk about water, because th- there's a deep significance to water, not just beginning at baptism, but going back all the way to the creation story, and we see this unfold in the rite of baptism. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, so when, so when the priests 
so in the, in the rite of baptism, when you're baptizing a baby or an adult, there's a, a special blessing that the priest prays over the, the water, and it's different than a holy water blessing. It's what's called baptismal water. And it, it walks through all of the times in, or most of the times in the scriptures, where water is used uh, to talk about cleansing, and especially cleansing of sin. So, for example, even in creation, part of the prayer, uh, the blessing is, O God, whose spirit in the first moments of the world's creation hovered over the water, so that the very substance of water would even then take itself the power to sanctify. And it goes through the uh, Noah, Noah and the Ark, the flood. It goes through Abraham and the Red Sea, and uh, Jesus' example of being baptized himself in the waters of the Jordan. And so what I, what I tell families in baptismal prep classes is that it shows that from the very time of, of creation, uh, water is used to symbolize, to symbolize this washing away of sin all the way up until your baby is being baptized right now. And, of course, one of the great reflections that you can have is go back um, on the baptism of our Lord in the Jordan um, because yeah. the question is, were the what was Jesus sanctified by the baptisms, the waters of baptism, or the waters of baptism sanctified by Jesus? And we know the answer, right, Father? Yes, yeah, yeah. And it was certainly setting setting the example of the importance of this. But even part of that, even part of that baptismal water blessing, right? Uh, it's, I'll read the whole paragraph here. It says, "O God, whose Son baptized in the waters of the Jordan was anointed with the Holy Spirit," and then it goes to the crucifixion. As he hung upon the cross, he gave forth water from his side along with blood, and then after the resurrection, commanded his disciples, go teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, uh, showing that the, the symbol of water is so important it can't be removed from the sacrament of baptism. You can't substitute mm. water with something else, because the symbol of water is so important. Father, I apologize we're out of time, and I know you got to run, but uh, to our listeners, you can visit the FargoDiocese.org website, and you can scroll down close to the bottom of the page where uh, the column, What Do Baptisms and Funerals Have in Common? by Father Riley Durkin. Um, There are a couple other similarities we didn't get to, such as placing of the Christian symbol and the color white that uh, you'll have to check out there. So, Father, thank you for your time this morning. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. God bless. God bless. Take care. All right. We are going to shift gears here for the last few minutes uh, of this hour. Steve, talking about something that you are passionate about, the Eucharistic revival. Yeah, that's something here at the Diocese of Fargo we've been working on for a couple of years. And, and this summer coming up, we have, again, that National Eucharistic Congress and a pilgrimage uh, heading to that. And I know that we're going to visit with Ed Konechka about that because University of Mary is also uh, taking a pilgrimage uh, to Philadelphia or Indianapolis. The, the uh, last one, actually, many, many years ago was in Philadelphia. But Indianapolis uh, for that uh, pilgrimage. Yeah, good morning, Ed. There you go. Hey, Ed, are you there? I'm here. Good morning. Excellent. Yeah. Talk to us a little bit about uh, what's coming up here this summer, this Eucharistic Congress pilgrimage that you're doing with the University of Mary. Yeah, that's a great opportunity. You know, the, the has not been a Eucharistic Congress in the United States in like 80 or 85 years. And I think it's in response to this awareness. There was a report a couple of years ago, like Pew Research or somebody, that 
70% of Catholics don't believe in the real presence in its fullest form, which was a wake-up call, I think. You know, and we're in the middle as a, as a country of a Eucharistic revival, and this will be an amazing event. Uh, they're hoping to fill Lucas Oil Stadium where the, uh, where the Colts play, and uh, it's all about the Eucharist. I know on Saturday one of the events they plan is a Eucharistic procession around the streets of Indianapolis. Uh, it's a multi-day event with some of the, the most well-known uh, speakers in the Catholic world are going to be there. And uh, so we're hoping to take our students and folks from the Diocese of Bismarck uh, on a bus tour pilgrimage. Some folks are going to meet us there and still be part of our group, so there's a lot of different ways that that can come together. Uh, but the... Um, yeah, it's, a, it's just a great opportunity for stu- folks to travel with us uh, to be part of this amazing event. I don't know when the next one will be, but it hasn't happened in 80 years. And so our my hope is that I, I happened to be in Denver in 1993 when John Paul II came, and uh, that was a, a pivotal moment in the history of the Church within the United States. And I think that this has the ability to be the next one of those. I, uh, my hope is that the people who go say, I was there, and, and that was a significant moment in the life of the Church. And so the University of Mary, we have a lot of experience with bus trips and, and travel and pilgrimage with the March for Life and other things that we do, and so we're happy to partner with the diocese and uh, and bring this thing to as many people as we can. Absolutely. Are you, are you going by bus? Or are you flying, Ed, or how, what's, the, what's the plan? We're going to go by bus, but we're breaking it up. So, you know, when we go to the March for Life, our students end up... Uh, with a, a long bus ride. We're going to stop in the, in, on the way down and on the way back. And so the longest single-day trip will be uh, a 14-hour ride from Chicago to home. So we'll leave here and we'll go to the cities, stop in the cities, and then we will, uh, on the way back from Indianapolis to Chicago, stop in Chicago, and then come the rest of the way. So it is by bus. There are some folks who are going to travel to Indianapolis on their own but want to be part of our group as a pilgrim. And so... If somebody's like, if somebody says, I don't want to do a bus ride, but I want to be part of this great event, uh, they'd be able to sit with us as a group and our tickets. They could be in the hotels with us. And so if I'm going to bus, right? I, it doesn't bother me. I, I, I can still do that. Uh, but um, that shouldn't be a thing that will inhibit someone from coming. If they want to say, hey, I'll get to Indianapolis, then I'll join you, right? And uh, so... So, Ed, if somebody wants to be a part of this pilgrimage, of course, that includes the Bismarck Diocese and the University of Mary, excuse me, um, how do they go about uh, signing up? Uh, They can go right to the University of Mary's website. Uh, We've got a page for that. I think the diocese does as well. Uh, Or they could could call me uh, directly in my office because I'm part of that. Uh, And so that is uh, my phone number, 701-355. 8102 again 701 8102 uh, if they want to go to slash uh, edu and then slash nec for national Christian congress that also takes them right to our page excellent and uh, so how many spots I, do you I'm assuming it's also on the diocesan website as well yeah and how many spots do you have available we have 300. 300 spots. The, the bishop is bold. He's like, we're going we're gonna to make a space for as many people to go. And uh, our hope also is that some folks come as a, like a parish cluster, but with us. Uh, so, you know, if eight or ten folks in the parish get together and say, let's do this thing together, but as part of the diocesan group, that allows them to not have to worry about any details and the tickets. And, and there's been such a response nationwide, people should know this, that 
uh, it's there isn't housing anymore in Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. Like the housing in Indianapolis is done. So if someone says, "Hey, I'm going to go to this thing. I'm going to go get a ticket and go uh, and do it right now," that's going to be really difficult if you're not with a group. Uh, because of this great response of people like dioceses like ours that have come in. I know Fargo has a trip uh, as well. Uh, Fargo looks a little different, uh, but same idea. And so um, yeah. uh, the, the Archdiocese has one. So anyone you're listening area should be able to hook up with a group uh, that's going to this event. And that's the best way to go now because of the housing situation. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm actually in charge of the pilgrimage in Fargo, Ed. And so, yeah, we do have two buses, and we're taking a pilgrimage as well. Um, and so, yeah, there's spots yeah, that are available as well. Folk, folks should go with you. You've got uh, your folks, right? If exactly. Part, they should come with me. Exactly. <laughs> some nice things like St. Mary. On, you're going to do the St. Mary's on the Lake, right in Mudderline. That's yep. one of your stops. Yeah, we have some so, of the yeah, stops. Brilliant. Yep. And brilliant. so, and there, there's enough spots for everybody. You know, not everybody, but anybody who wants to in the Diocese of Fargo and the Diocese of Bismarck to go with those those groups. And so, and there are a lot of dioceses across the nation that aren't doing anything. So people are calling us and saying, "Can we go with you?" So. Folks, if you want the opportunity to be a part of this great event, and of course, the more people we get going from North Dakota, the greater chance we can come back to North Dakota and work in this Eucharistic missionary work that is the next step of this Eucharistic revival. So, Ed, we have about 30 seconds left. Final thoughts on this pilgrimage. Well, one thing I would say real quick is that we've extended to our families, too. So something for us that's unique, I think, is that if a student's coming here and want to go with us and with their family, we're telling their family, come with us, right? So it is our diocese of Bismarck, but our UMary students and alumni. And so we're trying to cast a big net because everybody should do this if they can. Uh, people might have heard of a seat conference before. This yeah. would be bigger and better than that, I think. But for an adult who that didn't exist, someone who loves the church but has not been to that kind of thing but has heard of Seek, I think this is on that level of amazing talk, speakers, prayer, worship together. Uh, this could be a life-changing for a participant, and my hope is it's life-changing for the church in the United States of America. Ed, thanks so much for spending a few minutes uh, with us Absolutely. on the air here. Again, uh, you can visit umary.edu slash NEC to find out information also available on the Bismarck Diocese website. And Steve, where can people go if they want to join the Fargo Diocese? FargoDiocese.org forward slash revival or just go on the homepage and hit resources and go to Eucharistic Revival. All right, coming up on Real Presence Live, sacrifices of thanks and praise. Do we and should we thank God for even the bad things that happen? Father Jason Leffer will weigh in on that. But first, it's our monthly Gospel Roundtable. We've got our good friend Brad Gray who's joining us after the break as we reflect on today's Gospel reading about the woman afflicted with hemorrhages and the miracle that astounded many people at the home of a synagogue official. We've got another great hour of Real Presence Live coming up. Stay with us. Stay with us.